Hey, everybody, welcome to Elseworlds Exchange. I'm Sal, and I'm joined again by Jordan Bloom. Jordan, thanks for being here, dude. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure, my pleasure. We had such a great time talking about Secret Wars, uh, but I'm excited because we're talking about you know, comics, what we've read, uh, stuff that we're excited about, but the thing that we should really be talking about first is, of course, the new book from the Minor Threats universe that you teased in our first episode, where you were like, well, maybe we'll see more in that world. Uh, the alternates coming from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have actually read the first <clears throat> issue or two of the series, and there is such a dope tone that this thing sets that is so starkly different, yet also spiritually uh, emblematic of the Minor Threats, uh, you know, universe. It's something where it's like Minor Threats could have existed in a vacuum; it could just been its own thing, but it balloons out into this other place that, like. I think there is like a cameo, but otherwise it really doesn't touch on anything that we saw from the previous uh, volume. Mm. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the idea was was brought to us by Tim Seeley. And, um, you know, it was what was so great is is we never want to repeat ourselves. And the idea was sorry, my trash is getting collected, of course, right now. <laughs> Sure. This. That's all that slamming going on there. Uh, so, uh, you know, Tim, uh, you know, brought us this idea, and like, it, it, to me, it's more like a like a spiritual cousin in that it's not a story about low level supervillains. It's a story about kind of you know B level heroes who get rebooted into a vertigo yes. world and then come back to their more two dimensional superhero world and kind of have withdrawal. From having yeah. these 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 vertigo lives, uh, if you will, and what I loved is again, it, you know, what I think connects it to minor threats is we always want to kind of tell superhero stories that have never been told and and um, tell them from perspectives that we've never seen. So I had never read a story of what it is like to go from being a kind of silver age goofy hero to suddenly you know, being this mature readers uh, kind of elevated uh, yeah. comics character and then go back. And I think there's something really fun about, you know, even in, in, in the original Minor Threats, this kind of meta fiction, we were really kind of playing with concepts of, again, goofy Silver Age characters being dragged into the Frank Miller, Alan Moore uh, kind of uh, modern age, you know, like how difficult it would be for a calendar man to suddenly find himself in the Dark Knight Returns. And, and you know, even though we weren't saying that in the story, it was kind of the, the backdrop and in a similar way. We're not saying this is Vertigo, but I think we're playing with, with those kinds of concepts. Oh, you get that immediately. Like from the jump, you're kind of like, oh, this feels like a classic, but it doesn't feel like it is this feels like it is at home with it as opposed to it being a kind of pastiche or an homage to it. Like this would be right at home with something like vamps or kid eternity or something like from 93. That is this kind of really like dark, but only dark because that is the world we're choosing to depict at this time, like kind of tone. Um, I love the concept overall and especially the lack of handholding that is inherent in the story. Um, now, this is, of course, co-written by yourself, by Tim Seeley, and Pat Oswalt returns um, to, to, to write it. The mm -hmm. art sells the hell out of this book as well. Oh, my uh, God. We should talk about the, the, the collaborators, because yeah. there's three different artists on this two, book. Two different artists. Um, two different. It's Chris Mitten, who has done a lot of um, 
Hellboy uh, and such, and then Tess Fowler, who did one of our covers yeah. uh, from the last series. And, you know, I think what's really fun is is Chris is doing all of the kind of uh, present day stuff of, of what these characters are going through and having returned back to our world. And, and then Tess is doing these sort of flashbacks to when they were in the ledge, this, this other yeah. universe. And, um, you know, I think Chris's stuff really reminds me of like Steve Yao or some of those early doom Grant Morrison, doom patrol kind of okay. style art. And then Tess's, art is much more it's um it's watercolor paintings so it almost reminds me more of the covers to those right. controls and things so yeah i think you get the whole experience i think that's supposed to you know invoke that where you know i loved all the pieces of those you know the sandman covers and the interior sandman art and they're always very different and there's always a contrast so we thought that would be kind of fun to even work into the the art itself yeah uh, do you want to do you want to give us the elevator pitch? I mean, we kind of talked, we, we we danced around it, but I want to hear like what you what you say to people to sell them on this book. <laughs> yeah, so so like I said, it was these C list heroes, um, you know, who uh, there was a, a universal threat uh, that this in, almost kind of invasion from another reality, and these heroes sacrificed themselves to close it. Uh, yeah. instead of the continuum, the heroes who we had met in the previous Minor Threats. Um, and what happened is they end up being transported to this kind of uh, this alternate mirror world where they led amazing lives that, you know, uh, for instance, Crab Louie, who was just this kind of atomic monster, suddenly became <laughs> the avatar to all crustacean kind and almost achieved godhood. And they, again, kind of had these expanded existence for about, uh, three years, and then they were brought back to to the modern threat, minor threats reality, and they all missed it. They had a really hard time adapting to their lives, and how do you go from being a crab god to suddenly being a dad, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, and and just a minor superhero? So they form a support group because uh, they're all struggling to kind of reclaim their old lives, and um, what they discover is that some of the elements from this uh, mirror universe have made it to the Minor Threats universe in the form of a street drug, and people are taking this and turning into weird, strange Grant Morrison-like creatures. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's up to our heroes to, um, to kind of investigate and find out what's going on, but there's also the threat of them taking it themselves and sort of relapsing. It's really a story about recovery, uh, yeah. about uh, kind of letting go of this this kind of heightened version of yourself and accepting that you can live without it and be this uh you know kind of reclaim you know who you were so that yeah. is it in a nutshell it's a pretty long pitch but it's a really kind of weird yeah. book so i think it needs that it that does time. it's it is it is such a uh it's such a treat and it's there's nothing like it on the shelf today and that's what's so i think appealing but it also uh is very much evocative of the comics that made us like the kind of comics where it was like it felt dangerous to read when you were like 12 or 13 and you know no one's no one's looking over your shoulder to see what you're buying at the comic book store and you're like i'm getting all this stuff that is really mature readers only and uh and 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 dealing with adult themes and talking about like the you know concepts like addiction and about like drugs and about like just the need to be special and how that never really goes away and in adulthood it's even more like potent and there, there's a lot in here that's just like 
it's really really exciting and uh I, i'm glad you brought up uh louis because clearly he he is like the kind of i don't know he's one of the more complicated ones although they're all pretty complicated in this series because he's the one who feels the most like he misses it the most Mm -hmm. like he misses being there the most because he was he was a god i mean like and it's funny because you could also you could point to all the influences throughout like you could be like oh okay like he's kind of like a like a like a like a pastiche of like a swamp thing meets a metamorpho kind of idea and yeah. uh i love i love that i'm just like oh like yeah what if metamorpho was a was a god <laughs> and i'm like yeah <laughs> i'm in um but yeah man uh I'm, I'm just hyped for this book uh when does the first issue drop the first issue comes out uh, September 13th, uh, so Wednesday next week. Yep. Um, it's a four-issue limited series, very much like the first uh, Minor Threats. And, you know, hopefully if people dig it, maybe there's more in the future. But we, um, you know, we really tell, I think, like a very complete story with mm -hmm. it. And, um, yeah, it's it was really fun to play with Tim, who is – a comic book, you know, hero of mine. And, and I've been reading his stuff since hack slash and local yeah. man is one of my favorite books right now. Uh, mm -hmm. we Pat and I joke like local man's the book that got away. Cause it's like, Oh, that would have been a great minor threat to, to except I will say him <laughs> using all the image characters to ground it, like makes it the perfect image book too. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, we're huge, huge fans of Tim. So we were so delighted that he, he brought this idea to us and was inspired by the original series. And it does tie a little bit. You'll get a little peek at what Frankie's up to is she's kind of, it's kind of setting up some stuff that's going to uh, come down the road, but really it's, yeah, it's a, it's a contained story. And, and one of the things we liked in the world building of it was if um, Redport, where, where the first minor threats is set is kind of our, our Staten Island. This is uh, set in British square, which is our, our Brooklyn. It's ah. a little hipper. It's a little more more artsy, and we <laughs> wanted the kind of characters to re reflect that and the and the things that go on there. So yeah, we we decided you know we're we're building out Twilight City a little you know piece by piece, and we're like, well, there's all these boroughs. Let's let's play over here. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, it's one of those things where you are rewarded for remembering or being a fan of the minor threats world but it also is very much like you could jump into this cold like the way i look at it it's if you love minor threats you're gonna dig the hell out of alternates and if you hate minor threats you may still probably love alternates anyway <laughs> uh by the way speaking of alter uh, of minor threats trade paperback came out obviously i believe in june right yes uh trade came out we had a really cool event um at the store called revenge of in los angeles if you're in los angeles you should absolutely check it out they have um, an amazing pinball selection, and they're run <laughs> by uh, these guys that are um, production designers. So the whole place feels like a spaceport. Oh, they just keep awesome. adding to it. There's like a cantina now. And so we had a release party there where they built us a stage and booths to sign, and they designed the whole space to be minor threats. And we had stand-up comedians including Patton do sets we had a band we tried to kind of make like a block party release party you know yeah. kind of add a little fun to the, the the traditional comic release party so that was a blast so we're hoping to do more with them there uh there's some uh alternate stuff coming up um that we're gonna announce soon so that was a blast then we got to celebrate in san diego and and have a panel um and uh got to be the, the ba entire back of the dark horse booth which blew my mind and yeah it's very surreal it, it feels like uh i'm waiting for someone to just kind of wake up and be like 
wait, why did we give you all this stuff? Like, you guys <laughs> us, take this away. They don't deserve to make comics. But until then, no, hell no, no. This is you, you, well earned, my friend. Um, I love uh, really quick just as a as a as a point of point of order. Uh, when I got the uh, the previews for this, there's this really dope. Um, you know, the first cover for the first issue is just. I believe that's a. Oh God, who did the first uh, the the cover for the first issue? So there's a few. So Scott Hepburn, who's the artist on Minor Threats, is doing all the egg covers. Okay, and cool. Then, yes, and then we have I'm going to forget some names. Fabio Moon is doing yep. one of the egg uh, for one of the first issue covers. Um, we are doing uh, Martin Simmons. Yep. Uh, who's incredible? Did a a Mary the Multi Monster cover for us. Yep. Um. Tony Fleeks. Tony Fleeks. Uh, local man. Yeah. Did a persona yeah. cover for us. And then Tim uh, did an amazing um, cover of, of Crab Louie and, and Mary the Multi Monster. Uh, yeah. So it's a, yeah, Murderer's Row. It's insane. And there's even more uh, for every issue. Yeah. Uh, for issue two, we didn't get a cover. We have this really cool kind of like dark horse don't show this to anybody cover it's just this like it's this very um warning caution tape yellow and i i love it and it's kind of it like makes me feel like that should almost be the cover where it's kind of like this like don't read you know like don't let anyone see this kind of thing it's just it's their like production header because it was like a work in progress i think i sent you i don't even know if we've done the final lettering pass on it but i was like oh i want you to see more of the story yeah, so, yeah and I, i'm so glad because i was like i was hooked after the first issue i'm like i gotta see more and then i was like oh my god he sent me the other issue that's right oh yes uh but yeah i kind of love the uh the like you see occasionally people like to play with it i know zadarsky loves to do the like you know with the uh, sex criminals they did a whole bunch of like crazy ass covers one of which was like a yes. kind of like yeah. this is a production like you know uh how the sauces gets made comic book cover and i was like yeah i think alternates could get away with that kind of thing or it's like it it, it would be a disservice because i know that the cover that i got i believe that's the scott hepburn and ian herring uh cover was so dope um but i kind of like the like, this is dangerous don't <laughs> you know well, we should have let Tess do uh, like a nudity cover or something like that you had to cover up yes and get like a poly bag and everything yeah it was very funny because obviously you know uh working with tim who writes one of my favorite books money shot yeah. loves to push the boundaries but it was actually tess fowler who was like that in the first issue there's a little yeah. bit of a say a monster orgy and that was even more extreme in the in like the initial layouts and i was like somehow the prude you know clutching my pearls being like i don't i think we should put a little more focus on the character Maybe a little <laughs> less like werewolf humping over here and there so but it was like no they're that this is what they're capturing that thing that you said like that vertigo book that preacher book right i remember reading yeah. preacher on an airplane trip and and like kind of having to read to myself because you're like i shouldn't i'm a i'm a kid i shouldn't have these comics there's something Uh like dangerous about those vertigo comics and i think it was really great because there's some of that in in this so maybe not the best comic to give uh little kids yeah yeah i might have a teenager finds it hides it from his parent and we're we're recreating the vertigo experience. I think that's something that we need in the in the world of comics is a is a book where you're kind of like you have to hide it. Um, you know, when you get it, you're kind of like, oh, I hope nobody like catches me reading this. Although, uh, thankfully, with the cover, you're kind of like, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's gonna avoid it because it's just like it's so catching. Yeah. Um, 
yeah but yeah i love yeah, man. Little, i want to read about depressed superheroes in a support group like, yeah I don't, I don't know if it sells the, the oh yeah well that, that might not yeah no the first three pages you're like okay yeah i, I get what's yeah. going on here this is dope uh and I, I like your reference to morrison yeah it does have a very morrisonian kind of like vibe to it i mean they're my favorite writer of all time yeah. and you know when i think of doom patrol and animal man you know like Totally. two-thirds of those original vertigo books it was that oh i guess never mind there's sandman and swamp thing but you know half of those books were were morrison and he and they were great at taking again animal man and swamp thing were kind of these forgotten sealess heroes who yeah. had these goofier pasts especially animal man oh, and yeah. then were brought into this like wow these these are really dense you know uh heavy books and and i love them so yeah that was definitely like the target was can we do some sort of ode to the, this person that's inspired us so much totally uh so yeah man what are you reading right now what's uh what's coming out right now that you're kind of like oh this is something i can't put down because i know that last oh. time we talked i think you and i were the lone dissenters we were reading the uh, the the aaron punisher run and mm -hmm. uh yeah that was there's a new one right there's a new punisher coming new out punisher so yeah yeah um i i'll be honest other than the X books, which we talk about in a second, because I think they're on fire. They're yeah. amazing right now. Mm -hmm. um, I've been super into DC. Like yeah. I, and I've always, yeah, I don't say I, I, in the past, I maybe have leaned a bit more Marvel here and there, especially like post new 52. Oh, I kind of sure. had, you know, one foot out a little bit and I'd come back. Rebirth was great. And there's tons of great books published within that era. That's but I think I, you know, I, I always leaned heavier with Marvel and I think DC is crushing it across the board. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's I'm hard pressed to find a bad DC book. I think the Superman books in particular have yeah. never been better. Um I love the main Williamson Superman book. Yeah. I, I think it really pinpointed to me what I uh, that I know it's like a thing cliche people say. Metropolis is such a character and when done right, it's more interesting to me than Gotham or any yeah. of the other cities. Like I think it has so much personality and he's nailing that. And then with Kenny Johnson, I had not read a ton of his previous action comic stuff. So I went back and I read the um, war world saga. Yes. Yes. That's an instant classic in my book. Uh, I, I, I can't have a conversation about Superman without war world coming up because of like how it found its audience so quickly and made its mark in such a profound way and that's funny that's one of those books where um you could tell like johnson just like he had a vision and he was allowed to execute it for like to, to the nth degree where like war yeah. world was one of those things where i'm like i can imagine people like you know upstairs being like i don't know like after about like six months we might want to get him back on earth and it's like no we got to go all the way with this with this series um yeah yeah, that really, I, I think there are people who are like, I'm a Superman fan now because I read War World. Mm. And there's um, so much good Superman out there, but I feel like we've been hungry for a little while. And totally. It's just, it's one of those stories where it boils everything down to the essence of the character, where you can strip him of his powers and this and that. And it's the idea of Superman, the concept of Superman that is so powerful and big and important. And to me, I have to cry at least once for a Superman story to be a good Superman story. And I oh, definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I am so on board with you, especially when it comes to like, it, it's 
it's Superman's time right now. Like we've got we got the the Williamson run, which is great, uh, and uh, Jamal Campbell's art on that book is just next level. I can't believe that that book looks the way it does. Uh, and it was uh, once Far Sector came out, I'm like, oh, you gotta scoop this guy up like tomorrow. Like it's it's next level stuff. Um, but you've got that. You've got uh, the new Action Comics run. You also have Mark Wade's Black Label Superman book. Mm-hmm. That Lex Luthor which, one. That Lex Luthor one, which, like, uh, as I understand it, I think Wade has mentioned that he's like, this is more or less a sequel to Birthright. Like, it's it's in the same world. It's in the same, like, he's like, I'm thinking of that when I'm writing this. So there is some connective tissue between it, but also, like, it stands on its own as its own oh, Superman story. First, and it's like, first. oh, no. Oh, oh, hang on. There we go. All right, cool. Am I back? Yep. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. yeah sorry about that. Here. Let's see. All right. That should be good. I'm sorry. You were going to Mark Wade, which I would oh, love yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Wade's doing this. This. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to see this like oversized Superman story. The first issue was great. I think we're only getting two more issues of that, which is a, mm-hmm. is a shame, but it's it's dope. And uh, Brian Hitch is, of course, drawing it. It looks great. Um, I love the concept. It's such a like, such an elevator pitch story where it's like Lex Luthor's dying and he wants Superman to help him go. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, well, Wade is going to do it because he's crushing it on world's finest. <laughs> well, well, that's, I think been incredible world's finest to me is such a good showcase and almost reminding DC, Hey, you have all these toys. Here's yes. Metamorpho. Here's the metal men. Here's all these things that are so awesome that, you know, maybe publish one less Batman book and <laughs> let's let's tackle these. Yeah. But it feels like they're listening because we're getting Hawkgirl and we're getting new Green Lanterns and we're getting a new Flash. And, you know, yeah. it feels like for the first time in a long time, the scope is opening there and they're yeah. realizing, oh, my God, each one of these properties has so much potential if we put the right people on it. And, you know, Wade's writing half of them. He's writing Shazam. Yep. He's writing that Teen Titans Year One book and he's knocking them all out of the park. Yeah. And I think it's smart, too, especially with World's Finest and Shazam, that it's like, oh, well, you also have Dan Mora drawing it where it's like, oh, this is if you weren't already convinced that these characters are fun and cool, like here's Dan Mora drawing essentially the distillation of everything of of the ideal version of that character. Like here is the Doom Patrol, like you've always seen them, but now suddenly think they're awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. if you hadn't already, you weren't already convinced from the show and the long history and, you know, multiple different runs. Um, I'm kind of partial myself to the uh, the uh, Nick Darrington, Gerard Way Doom Patrol run, which uh, I'd I'd never seen anything like that before. And I was like, nice. (laughs) I mean, the art in it was unbelievable. Uh, Um, Yeah. Yeah. Doom Patrol is kind of like Daredevil, weirdly, where there's a lot of like iconic runs where you're like oh i didn't know this many people like great people worked on this character but this is why this book's always good because yep kind of from grant morrison forward you know then you get that one you get the nick darrington one then you get um the current one right now uh yeah. dennis culver dennis culver's with, doing a great uh, job yeah burnham incredible it's so great and he's doing these almost one and done yeah, Twilight Zone stories where these characters work so well within. So I really like the focus of that book. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Daredevil because Daredevil just wrapped up its uh, epic Zdarsky run, which uh, I think people are already hailing as a modern classic. Uh, I I I am hard pressed to find two bad Daredevil runs. 
<laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I could think of maybe one. I'm like, yeah, that one. Mm. But every, you know, you, you go down the list of like from more or from, from Miller to Nusenti to Zadarsky to even like, like more recent creators like Charles soul. You've got Mark Wade. You've got like everybody on that book. It's just, I and it's always something to Bendis. It was Bendis. Then followed by Brubaker. Brubaker. Yeah. Did actually come after that? No, did he never did Daredevil run? Then I think I then know. it was Wade. Yeah. Then it might have been yeah. Wade right after that. Like mm-hmm. that's like 10 years of nonstop. Yeah. Daredevil. Like it's right? crazy. Yeah. And any one of those could be a thing where you're like, oh, that's like a really odd, like, man, you, you got to love Daredevil because of that singular run. But it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's it's a chain of great runs yeah. up until recently where it's just been you know daredevil is such a popular book now as a result of uh, i think the the exposure he's gotten thanks to you know word of mouth and zdarsky's work and chichetto's art and just been yeah. great yeah well I, I have a theory on why there is that and i think what it has to do with is is daredevil you know let's say in the in the 60s didn't have the following immediate yeah. following that say like batman or spider-man did so you have a street level vigilante character where you can kind of break all the toys and get away with it yeah and i think that's what led a lot of these writers and artists to take huge risks on the character where it's like i can kill off anyone i can destroy his life who cares about the supporting characters like you know you you can only break j jonah jameson or or or, Or or, alfred or or whatever but in daredevil it's like yeah have at it you know uh uh karen's dead Boom, you know. Yeah, uh, and she's like, never coming back. Like yeah, they, she's they, never coming back. And I think, I don't know. Like obviously, there's a lot of death and rebirth and stuff, but the Daredevil stuff always feels more permanent. Yeah, and it always feels high stakes. Uh, in a way, like the character doesn't feel safe in the way that Batman or Spider Man does, kind of month to yeah. month. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a there's a question I think that uh, Chip posed a, a while back: Is Born Again a perfect comic book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're all on the same page. <laughs> I mean, the David Maskelly art sends it over. I think. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can't beat that. Uh, it is a, a very perfect comic. Uh, right. I, I think it's okay, by the way, uh, to use that term liberally. Like, I know a lot of uh, you know a lot of people approach comics or art the same way that like those annoying college professors did where they're like oh no one get only god can get an a in my class and it's like that you only only watchmen is a perfect comic book you know some nonsense like that and, and i'm just like i i'm more liberal with it now than i ever was as a kid like where i'm like no i think that's perfect i think that like there's nothing that i would change about it ergo i think that there it's it's like it's flawless mm-hmm. you know um you know how yeah. i know it's because for every one of those, I'll read 300 bad comics. <laughs> that, that story or stories like it are enough for me to continue searching for more because yes. they were that good, right? Yeah. And then you find yeah. them, and then they happen. That isn't to say there aren't good comics all the time. There no. are, but you know, when you follow characters and you follow writers, you don't always get them. And then yep. you know, then comes along and you get a Mister Miracle or something like that, and they're just like, yeah, oh yeah. Comics can be the perfect storytelling medium, and there are perfect stories within comics, and they come out pretty frequently, but you have to kind of, if you're a weekly reader, you kind of sort through the mess a little bit. Absolutely. Now, that's one of those things that's, like, kind of remarkable about the era we're in in comics, where 
there, I think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this one. Mm -hmm. I think, and I've said this before out loud, thankfully I'm still here, but like that there are more good comics today than there ever have been. I agree with you. Right? Not just because you also co-wrote the alternates, but... uh... A lot of them are at Dark Horse, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, No, no, I I completely agree with you. It's, it, I can tell because of how many I'm buying, you know? Right, right. And how much I wish I could read more because I feel like I'm even limited sometimes to the big two and a few, you know, Image, Dark Horse, whatever. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I'm really lucky I'm on a few of the publishers' comp things, so I'm just accidentally discovering things that are so amazing and it's almost impossible to keep up with all of it. So yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think you know pound for pound, you know, you're getting great books every month. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I mean, you know, people talk about I think 1986 being like the perfect year for comic books or like the com- like the, the best year in comics history, which yeah. like look, it was a good year, you know. That's like saying, oh, god, what what's the movie year everybody talks about? It's like 1999. It's the, 1999 where it's like the yeah. biggest or best year in movie history. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think 1989 has you beat on that one, but uh. <laughs> I think I think the the 1986 thing is is where there was a shift maybe in the yeah. types of stories being told, and obviously 100. The ones that came out within that year were iconic and trailblazing mm-hmm. and unique, and obviously we've gotten you know versions of those since then, so they they felt fresh at the time. But yeah. you know, also and not to shit on this comic, I'm just picking a random one like. There was there was twelve issues of Blue Devil that came out that year that no one really goes back and reads. That's uh, true. Maybe, sorry, Blue Devil fans, tell me if it's good. I'll go. Let read me tell it. you something. There are Blue Devil fans, and yeah. they have sent me Blue Devil. Like I have, I think I have the entire run of the of the Paris Cullen's Blue He's Devil. A great run. artist. Great artist. Not, yeah, no, not no it looks great. Yes. And we've we've done, I think, at least one issue of Blue Devil on this channel, and I'm like. We won't be doing any more, but I do think it looks cool. Right. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah. There was, oh, there no, was, it's true. Yeah. There's 60 uh, issues of Quasar. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are good. Mark Grunewald. I prefer yeah. his Captain America run. Exactly. <laughs> I prefer. It, we got, look, we got if, Greg Capullo out of Quasar. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which, yeah. I mean, and, and I think thanks to Quasar, the only thing I think of when I think of Quasar is that pregnancy issue, which, uh, <sighs> it's just that cover where i'm like yeah. what it would it, did, did junior come out of this year i don't i don't, I don't know He's doing what the demi more right kind of yeah that's right the, so yeah, bizarre cover but yeah my point is is that in 1986 yes there were tons of mediocre comics and then right three or four giant hits i think now you it's much easier to find across the every board. every year it's a sophie's choice for the eisner's like every year, there is no clear winner. There's no clear like best original series where you're like, oh, that one. You're yeah. like, oh, shit. Like th- they're up against this, 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 and this. Oh, man. You know, because, yeah. you know, there are, they're always going to be outliers or, you know, transcendent artists and writers in every like he- period, but not all of them are going to or have been utilized to the best, like, you know extent of their abilities yet now we're seeing it and it's and mm-hmm. it's coming and and every, every year there's like another like handful or more of like books that deserve all the accolades and of course we have like two <laughs> to get. yeah it's crazy and and so much stuff is just kind of being done in its own fun little niche worlds like 
all the Brubaker graphic novels that just keep coming out. And I know there's never a dip in quality that you yeah. almost take them for granted. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the same thing, like if you're a horror comic reader, there's never been a better time for horror comics than maybe right before the, uh, the hearings, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. it's the last time horror comics were this good. Like uh, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, look, are there dips sometimes with some of your favorite characters or maybe you don't love a writer who's on yeah. run? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, but again, for me, an X-Men fan uh, who has watched the sh- book, you know, go from the top book to, to kind of almost the forgotten book to back well, to, to top. deliberate marginalization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This has been thrilling. It's like, 10 years how long has Krakow been going on i can't even uh, it's uh, like only three i think like i think oh. hawks and pox dropped in like 2019 so we've only okay. really been in it for three years but it feels like as long it's funny you think about like i have a poster up here it's just and it's literally just pulled out of a, an issue of uh the claremont jim lee x-men issue um where it shows you just like everyone's mind's eye image of the X-Men, you know, it's mm. drawn by Jim Lee and it's got like, it's got Rachel Summers looking mournfully over at Scott and Jean because it's implying that she's so sad. Like you got beast and archangel and boom, boom and cannonball and cable and every, and Bishop and everybody's there. And there's a little thing. This is the best is yet to come. And I'm like, and ironically it's in the best selling X-Men comic of all time. And it will never sell better than it is right now. So no, <laughs> technically it will not be the best, but not for the industry, but exactly. story wise. Yes. But the yeah. best, but yeah yeah like you think about that and it's like that was only that era is a very small window of time and yet we consider it to be like you know we think about it like oh well x-men red and x-men blue or x-men blue and x-men gold that was a those were teams for years right it's like no maybe one you know with whereas krakoa like people will be I mean, there's debate about like, will Krakoa be the status quo for the MCU X-Men? Like, is it's that important and that big? Yeah, it was the shot in the arm that it needed because I I feel like leading up to it, we were just spinning in Claremont circles, kind of yes. playing the hits, and uh-huh. it just needed to move forward, you know. Yeah. And and this was it, and it was great. It was you know, it was so exciting at the time when they first launched it. Yep. There's so many great ideas explored. You know, yeah, you know, sometimes you'd be like, okay, let's move the story forward. And they did. And yeah. the Hellfire Gala was one of the best comics I've read this year. Yeah. Jerry Duggan, I'll preface as a friend, but I told him this to his face. It it had me on the edge of my seat. I had no idea what was going to happen next. So much got done. It felt like a giant payoff to yep. his X-Men run where yeah. it was like, oh, it retroactively made that run even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have, and again, I'm, I it was the first time I was scared for them yeah. in such a long time. And I loved feeling that. And I, and you know, I don't think anyone besides Claremont writes Kitty Pride better than him, that follow-up yeah. issue where yeah. she's putting grenades into aim people, <laughs> phasing them into <laughs> aim people. Like that's yeah. amazing. So I'm thrilled by, by what is happening. And it was, it came just the right time in my opinion. Yeah. No, X- X-Men has, it, it's funny there, you know, Marvel's ready to to put X-Men on the map. That was one of the, 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 the log lines that came out recently. Yeah. And I'm like, what what do you call the last three years? Like it's, it's been your been, top selling book for the last <laughs> Like I don't think there's Where ever else been a you want them to go. Yeah. yeah and, and I don't think there's ever been a time when there are more best selling 
offshoot X-Men titles. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I don't want to rag on any particular publisher, but when any publisher rolls out with like, here's a whole new onslaught, no pun intended of like yeah. titles, you know, and you find out that like, like most of them get canceled because, you know, reader fatigue finances at all. Uh, but now we're in a place where like, there are titles that have firmly reestablished themselves as well. They should mm -hmm. in the, like, in the pull boxes across America where it's like X-Force, X-Men, Excalibur was a book that ran for such a while that like became this other thing. Uh, you know, you have Spurrier doing, or Kieran Gillen doing such amazing stuff with uh, with, with the immortal X-Men, mm -hmm. a title that never existed until now. Um, that I, I, I expect X-Men Red to be a, a title that they'll continue to push for the next five to 10 years. You know, it, it's it's just remarkable. Well, I think what they did is they learned one of the best lessons from the 90s when there was a ton of X-Men books, which is each one needs its own identity, right? Big you time. can't just have a bunch of X-Men books that all kind of feel the same, whereas mm -hmm. in the 90s, right, you had this is the government team. It's a little more comedic, <laughs> you know, uh, this is the, your main or core X-Men book. This is, you know, militaristic youth X-Force and this is, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Wolverine solo samurai stuff over here. Yeah. And I think these books did the same thing. Like we're going to have a pirate book and it's going to be Marauders, right. you know, X-Force is going to be our CIA of Krakoa and it's going to be espionage and stuff like that. You know, the yeah. main X-Men book be the superhero book. And um, they nailed it, you know, that you were getting different flavors, you know, oh, absolutely. And, and it didn't really that that new mutants book that uh, Hickman and Rod Rice were working on for the longest time was such like, that was my book. I'm like, just so watching fun. the X-Men yeah. in space. Such a good series. Um, and I hope that like, that is the lesson, like, you know, that the lesson isn't to constantly shake things up to the point of like irrecognizability <laughs> or unrecognizability, mm -hmm. but like rather to move forward. Like you said, just, just push forward, you know? Yeah. Like I, and I think, um, there, there's some titles that have, I don't know if the titles necessarily haven't benefited, but the characters in the world have. Like you look at, you mentioned JJ and Jameson earlier, and it's like, once Zdarsky made JJ find out who Spider-Man is again, uh, but in a more like my dinner with Andre kind of way, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I think I'm ready for Jonah to stop hating Spider-Man. Like I'm ready for that era to be put to rest. Like I don't miss it, you know? Right. Like, I remember it and it's iconic and I want to see it in other things, cartoons, movies, et cetera. But like, I'm okay with the comics just being this from now on. Well, it infused their relationship with a new energy and gave yeah. Jonah uh, a bigger role, a more important role in the yes. books, which is like, I'm protecting Spider-Man. I have to make up. I was <laughs> piece of shit to Peter Parker for all these years. And yep. now I realize he's helped a lot of people. I've got to help him whether he wants that help or not. It's such a great, dynamic and same thing you know i've been enjoying the osborne stuff even though you know it's coming you know oh, yeah. that the turn is going to happen um you know what if what would that relationship have been like if, if norman was more the father figure that yeah. he had intended himself to be before going crazy with the goblin serum so i don't know i to me as a writer like that's so exciting then like yeah. oh we got another good J. Jonah Jameson creates Spider Sliders, one because he hates Spider-Man, <laughs> but it's the only new um, yeah. story, which has been done to death and done well uh, yeah. previously. So I think you have to, like we talked about breaking the, the toys with with um, Daredevil, like 
you got to be able to play with it. And look, if you break them too much, there's Mephisto. There's all these things you can turn to. <laughs> That's where, the thing with big yeah. two comics. There's always a there's always a reset button. There's always a big red button yeah. behind. Like there's an not even glass. just outside the panel, ready to to snap his know. fingers or yeah. push a button, and everyone's back to normal, or right. everything's back in the back in the in the toy You're chest. Only a flashpoint away. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> everyone's and, always a flashpoint away. That's right. <laughs> um, are, are there any characters that you're kind of like? I. I wish I were able to jump into that pool. I wish I could just jump on that and, and really tell that story or, or, or tell my story. And well, I'm not asking for your story. Cause obviously we, we did a thing once we had uh, Jim Zub on and he told a very, like very strong story about how he had, a, he had a pitch 17 years ago that Marvel was like, Mm-mm. and then one day, a couple of years ago, Brevoort comes to him and he's like, Hey, do you have a squid game? And he's like, yeah, that was that pitch from 17 years ago. And Tom's like, okay, uh, do it. And that was murder world. And it was just like, if I had told somebody on a podcast, nobody like, you know, it would have just been gone, but instead I got to sit on it. So it's like, don't, don't share your ideas, but uh, yeah, I speak to this character. I'll say I have a, a a new mutant story. I've always wanted to do. Um, And, you know, um, Alpha Flight is a, a team I have a lot of love for. Very excited to see them with their their own book. I, I you, you can't tell. Good. I like the underdogs. Um, yes, I like that though. That's I think there's so much more potential, and I think it speaks to your point about Daredevil, where it's like they kind of will leave you alone. You know, yeah. you'll get you'll get to do your thing, and you get to make your mark, and 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 really upset the apple cart, but in a way that is like dramatic and and impactful. Well, I think there's something really freeing about wanting to kind of tell your story of a character maybe who doesn't have the most iconic stories you know i yeah. think like when i wrote that x-men story it was the hardest thing i've ever comic i've ever had to write really it was like i love every single one of these characters i've read every good story with them <laughs> what is there a new way in on professor x you know and yeah. it took me a while and i found it i think hopefully but oh. um it was it's a lot trickier when you're dealing with that i think spider-man batman you ask people those are some of the hardest characters to write yeah. Um, because it's well-worn territory and you're living in the shadows of, you know, uh, the, of the giants or yeah. whatever, you know? So yeah. for me, I think DC has a ton of characters. Like I said, that I think only Mark Wade is starting to dust off <laughs> and, and use. So like, I love a crack at the Adam firestorm, you know, yeah. characters that are sort of beloved, but maybe haven't gotten their a more recent kind of defining story. Um, that does something new with them, but also, you know, respects the kind of classics. So I don't know that I'm much more excited by those kind of concepts than, you know, obviously if someone asked me to write Spider-Man, I'm going to write Spider-Man. Sure. (laughs) Sure. But the, but there's more opportunity with, uh, yeah, but I think I like, you know, uh, uh, I like to think of like, what is, what's the thing I loved about this character as a kid? And what is something I've never seen done with that character and things, characters like Firestorm have been, been used as much but i still think have just the same potential as and i think you know tom king is obviously someone who does a very similar thing of you know no one's using mr miracle no one's using the dingbats of danger you know he's (laughs) we all like to go through the two and go oh yeah this character i bet i could come up with something really cool with this character right yeah especially if uh they've been left alone or in the toy chest for too long and Mm -hmm. there's you know you got some really original idea man yeah it's funny i I, I've asked Tom before about that, where I'm like, what made you pick, you know, 
Mr. Miracle? What made you pick Vision, etc.? And he's like, oh, no, at DC, they just call me. They're just like, you know, uh, apparently Human Target, which I would call one of those, like, almost, if not perfect, just about perfect comics. Uh, but it's like, that one came from a, from a tweet where somebody was like, oh, pitch Human Target. And he's like, Christopher Chance, like, takes a sip of uh, bourbon. He gets shot the end. You know, like, and then uh, he got a call and they were like, but would you do a human target book? And he's like, yeah, uh, but they just tell him like, oh, we, would you do a Mr. Miracle? Would you do this, that? And, the other? and he's like, sure, I could do that. As opposed to being like, I have a really big idea for this character. Yeah, um, that's kind of fun, though, when you get the assignment. I got to say, I like that. Sure. Yeah, like that's been 90 percent of my comic writing for for Marvel has just been like, what about this? And what about like, do that. <laughs> I can do yeah. that. Modoc, I will say, I did. Uh, I have loved forever, and that was my choice. Because actually, when we did the show, uh, they had another character they were interested in, and I was like, mm. "What about Modoc?" Uh, <laughs> so, but he fits my, you know, no one's really told the definitive Modoc story. <laughs> sure, uh, except Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby's told the definitive. I, don't come at me. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I think I've always gravitated towards that. But yeah, no, that there's been a few times where I've been able to, to pitch that. But even we were uh, when they asked us to do the Marvel comic of Modoc, yeah. it was a really hard challenge because it was like forget we've been living with this version of the character for this long in the show. Mm-hmm. That's not who they asked us to write a story about. So we kind of have to start from scratch. Over. Yeah, some of the character elements, you know, the arrogance, the ego, uh, you know, that stuff. But uh, write this version so that was kind of fun a fun challenge but i think that is those assignments are the best where they're like here's a concept here's a character four issues what do you got and you know i've been given some weird ones like baseball venom and spider <laughs> and you're like i can make this work i can i can have fun with this yeah did they pitch you that where they or, or did you get to come up with with baseball venom was that like yes baseball venom i won't speak out of turn here i think telling the story of that but that they came it was an image they just liked i think they'd seen a piece of art and I said, we want to do a baseball venom story and, and I think the original plan was it was going to be released at like yankee or met stadium as a giveaway and it was gonna be a four issue mini series and you know i pitched them out a whole story and it was going to be 616 eddie brock and all the stuff and then um i i forgot what went wrong with it something uh, and then a year later, they were like, how about we just do a five-page story with baseball? <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'll just condense the the, the forces into this and we'll, yeah. we'll do it. But again, it was like, okay, this concept is ridiculous. Totally, yeah. But what I love about comics is the ridiculous stuff. So what if the most humor I can get out of this is to play it as straight as possible Completely. and do it more? And I think like I never run from those kinds of assignments because I'm like, oh, yeah, those like I read NFL Super Pro. I'm, I'm in. Let's do this. Yes. Yes. That was deadly serious, uh, despite its intrinsic, you know, emptiness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the best comics are the comics that ride the line. I'm not saying NFL Super Pro is one of the best comics, but a lot of them, you know, Jason Aaron, Grant Morrison stuff walks that fine line of absurdity and and kind of taking yourself seriously and yeah to me is the the magic formula of comics well and i think it also is in the lifeblood of the minor threats universe yes absolutely we we love yeah we love crab people and uh (laughs) people who 
talk to pigeons and we find them to be very serious characters. Yes. Uh, uh, time. Right. Uh, when you develop your, when, when you're working with a team like uh, Tim Seeley or Pat Oswalt, when you're working on like this universe, um, I'm curious about the world building aspect of it because it is so rich and deep and because I can imagine the temptation of being like, Ooh, like this is how the, you know, the, the, the economic system works. And this is how the subway system works now. And this is how these characters interact. And what about like, what if the, is the president have superpowers? You know, um, <sighs> at what point do you like, how, how much do you build out of that universe? And how much do you go like, well, that's not really that important. You know, how do you how do you how do you self-regulate that kind of that kind of enthusiasm? Well, I think you know, a lot of that, like we would get you know ideas and images from from Scott Hepburn's art that would just mm. send us going. But I think the you know you could you could go down the rabbit hole for sure. And you know everything I always start or work on starts with character. And you know the book, even the way it was structured, especially the first one allowed us to have these like rings of focus. So it was like, okay, this is a, we've got to find this. The stakes are very clear. We got to find this guy by the end of the night, get the bounty before anyone else gets him and the heroes yeah. get up, you know, bam, go- goal, A to B. Mm-hmm. Uh, then each issue would focus on, write a different character. So there's another ring in and it would yes. be like, okay, this is scalpel's issue. So we know, she's going to have something to do in this issue that kind of moves the story closer to that end goal. We're going to focus on her and her backstory. So the world building will be born out of that and whatever they encounter needs to kind of, you know, relate to her in some way, you know? So this is a character who's talking about her father and these regrets and, and, and things about her dad and, and, and the way she viewed him and the way she's going to do things. And then let's put that character through a, time bubble you know where <laughs> there's all these other alternate realities happening all over around her and and this is a place that reminds her of her dad because before the time bubble she used to buy flowers there you know or whatever yeah and it was always like in service of character and then in service of the goal of the book itself right but you know we needed a chase scene well what then you know what 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 do you have in a superhero city a time bubble so like it would be born out of necessity right the world building or the stuff you know where does Frankie live? What's the bad side of a neighborhood look like? Well, what if she there's a fallen, you know, mech and they're holding up, uh, you know, uh, mobile homes? You know, like it was all. Yeah. You just ask yourself these questions as your character's taking you through the journey, versus like, here are all the things in the city and they've got to hit them all. And then yeah. looks over. It was just kind of we were finding our way through the city with the characters, and it would dictate the world building around them. I think that speaks to the strength of minor threats and uh to that extent the alternates where it is about the story and characters and the universe is built out of their struggles so as a result it doesn't feel like a you know like an assignment or like a uh, like an opportunity to be clever you know it's mm-hmm. more like the cleverness or the the fu- the humor or the seriousness of the absurdity uh is born out of the journey that you're going on as the reader and in your case as the writers uh which i think is you know a great opportunity here like for you know for 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 fun fiction where it's like oh i actually you buy it as opposed to being yeah. like because if you pitch uh subversive take on classic silver age superheroes you know it's like oh well put it in the pile 
of, right. <laughs> of forgotten, yeah. like, you know, ideas that, it, that people have had for the last 55 years. Um, but this one feels like it, it rises to the top because it's like, because it feels real, or at least it yeah. feels legit. And it's like, that's cool. I think it's just a journey you go on as a writer where I, you know, in my earliest stories, I was doing my Star Wars ripoff or whatever, and I'd start with like the vehicles. You know, whatever. <laughs> oh, this would be cool. Let's put that in there. And then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, people just care about characters. You know, right. you gotta love the characters. You gotta love the journey they're on, their arcs and stuff. And then everything else is based on questions and decisions and places yeah. she made inhabit and all that kind of comes naturally yeah. isn't it true like you wouldn't have like a full-scale model of the nostromo if aliens sucked right or if it was like or ripley wasn't interesting yeah you care about those characters and therefore you care about the world they inhabit yeah. uh you know because we've seen even bad sequels to things we love, and we don't buy the toys from those. <laughs> we don't have the guy who played the dad in Clueless's action figure from Alien Resurrection. No, uh, we, don't don't have that. we don't have that. We don't have uh, the bad the guy 3. from RoboCop 3 toys. Yeah, I don't have flying. You only get the one RoboCop. from one. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I only have the melting guy <laughs> from RoboCop yeah. 1. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Or like, I get excited when like we're at, san diego comic-con and there's like there's that booth over there where like they have all these um these like models from movies and mm -hmm. i'm just i always go over there and go like how much twelve hundred dollars yeah twelve hundred okay well i'll just look at them from over here and not buy them uh but you know like the um that transport ship that they use in aliens to get the uh the crew into uh hadley's hope and it's just like a golf cart with a lot of shit all over it. Like it's such a James Cameron thing. He's like, well, we only have about like like $55 to make this car, put a bunch of crap all over it. It looks, it looks like Elon Musk's current design for that, uh, that, that supercar that he just come out with. And it's like, that sucks, but I want one because I love aliens because I love Ripley and Apone and yeah, <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Of the movie yeah i've been yeah. tempted many times to buy the blade runner gun not that i love Dickens guns gun. or care that much or i think it's that cool but harrison ford looked really cool having it and deckard yes. is a great character and i want to have a piece of deckard you know dude uh, i'm i'm so on that same wavelength where i'm like at one at some point i got the uh, i got mal's pistol from firefly mm -hmm. and i was like i should have like an armory I should have like on the wall of like guns from sci-fi, but only <laughs> movies I like. And then I saw, I got like a phaser and then I was, and then I looked into like uh, Zerg's weapon and I'm like, none of these things are ever going to be purchased. Everything is out of my price range immediately. <laughs> so that's never going to happen. Uh, but yeah, no. That's hilarious. But uh, dude, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for giving me a, a crack at alternates, which is coming out in two weeks. Uh, if you haven't already, folks, you should definitely pick up the first issue and, of course, the subsequent four issues uh, that come out. Um, we are past final order cutoff because it comes out in two weeks. Right. So I am or ask them to, to hold you. you know, So just ask them to hold it for you. Because, no. yeah, just tell your cloak. Because the reality is if your local comic book store has all the copies that they've ordered in their reservation list, they'll have to order more and then. The, you know, then then the Tom, Dick, and Harrys that come off the street, of which there are thousands, of course, after every superhero movie comes out, mm -hmm. uh, will uh, they'll have to fend for themselves. But uh, definitely tell people you want a copy of Alternates Number One because it's it's super dope. <laughs> it's just a really oh, cool. Thank book. you, man. Uh, thank you. Of course, of course. Uh, and uh, another, uh, by the way, another opportunity to to mention that like this 
does not feel like it's written by three different people. This is one of those things where it feels like a col- it feels like it's one voice uh, throughout, which is always a treat. Um, that's always like a, a struggle for me when it comes to like multiple writers on one book, where I'm like, right, who wrote feels what? Like, feels who wrote what section? You know, <laughs> it was very organic, passing the script back and forth, very hive mind. We're, I think we love the same comics, so the references, the tone, it was all very easy to kind of yeah. I guarantee, I'm sure there's moments where you're like, oh, you. Oh, you did the thing. I was I was going to do that. I was going to make that exact reference. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. But uh, anything else, uh, any other place they can find uh, you and 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 your stuff? That they uh, I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky. I don't really go on threads, but I'm on there, too. Uh, yeah. um, as Bloom Jordan um, and Instagram, all those places. And if you are curious about the previous Minor Threats uh, book, the trade is available everywhere i just got to see it uh at a barnes and noble which was very fun to see it in the wild um and uh yeah it's out there and we have some more coming some announcements coming um the minor threats world is continuing to grow but this is our first our first spinoff and we're very proud of it that's great i'll put a copy of the minor threats trade paperback paper uh, trade paperback in the comments down below so pick up a copy if you want uh and of course check out the alternates coming out uh was september 12th september 13th 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 uh thanks a lot for being here jordan and we'll see you guys next time with another episode thanks so much